0: And uh, we're going to get into some pastoral teaching here this morning. <laughs> I've already gotten approval from your pastor to be able to do this this morning, because that's where our lessons are headed. I mentioned to you earlier that there were some of the epistles, epistles are the, are the letters written to the, to the churches. That some of the epistles emphasize uh, the principles of salvation, which is— how it's possible that we Gentiles who did not know the Lord can be saved and uh, some of the epistles emphasize that they all speak on pretty well the same things but they emphasize certain things over other things and uh, the principles of salvation is what like for instance the book of Romans deals with uh, Galatians deals with that and so forth but then there are certain epistles that deal a lot with the practicalities of salvation that is how to live for god how to serve the lord and how to walk with god it's not that some were chosen to be that way or the other it's just that that was the need of that particular church at that particular time so when paul wrote his epistle that's what he emphasized and what he wrote mostly about he was a very brilliant man paul was brilliant man understood not only the law thoroughly but he understood the application of the law to the new testament and its real and its relation with each other and uh, so in the book of 1 Corinthians, after we deal a little bit with the principles of salvation in the early part of it, we get into the practicalities of it. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today, and there's quite a bit of it in the in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, the reason is because the Corinthian church began to be a church, even though they were a large church and they grew abundantly, And a lot of people saved they had people coming out of all kinds of background all walks of life and they were uh, people who did not know well am i not supposed to do that anymore and these kind of things and so paul had to really set the set the uh, set, set it all straight for them so i'm going to get into it and this is in the word of the lord so i want you to turn with me if you would please to the sixth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading here in chapter 9. We've already discussed other things in the 6th chapter in our previous lessons. But if you look at chapter 9 here, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous unrighteous shall, shall not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, if you're unrighteous, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now, let me explain the difference between fornication and adultery, as, as it's spelled out in the Bible and in the Word of God. Fornication is the act out of marriage, period. It's the act out of marriage. Uh, whoever it is, it's the act out of marriage. It's fornication. And uh, this is why that is it's condemned in the Word of God. Uh, sometimes it's single people, sometimes it can be married people, and it's referred to as fornication is simply the act out of marriage. Adultery is always the act out of marriage when there is a married person involved. In other words, if uh, if a man—if if a woman—if a, if a, if a man and woman is married and the man commits adultery— Uh, He has offended not only—he's not only abused himself in his own body and committed fornication, but he's also sinned against his wife. And this is why it's called adultery, and this is why it's such a serious offense, more so than what we normally think of as simply fornication, adultery. Adultery is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not—I'm That not the fifth, I'm sorry, it's uh, the—I think it's the sixth— seventh I'm sorry, seventh okay i think it's the seventh commandment. And anyhow it's one of the ten commandments uh, adultery is that shall not commit adultery it doesn't say fornication it says adultery because not only adultery is adultery the act out of marriage but it is also the act against your companion of whom you took vows with you you made vows before god and before man and so forth, and so it is an act against them as well. So, adultery is, a, is always a very serious thing. Uh, sometimes in the Bible, and Jesus even talked about it over in uh, in Matthew, uh, I think it was uh, 19, and also in Matthew 5, where he speaks about the uh, man and wife having— uh, or or having an adultery situation. He refers to it as fornication. It's fornication because it's out of marriage and so forth. It's it's out of wedlock. So I'm going to just move on here because I just want you to know the difference between the two. It is wrong, it's sinful, and the Lord condemns it. And a person who, and it'll talk a little bit more here about uh, this act of fornication. Uh, Look down in verse 13. I'm going to pick up and talk a little bit more on this. Uh, this is dealing with the the act of fornication and adequate adultery as well meat meat for the body and the belly for meat but God shall destroy both in them now the body is not for fornication but for the Lord and the Lord for the body God here's Paul in writing here now and reading and speaking in behalf of God's Word to the people is telling these Corinthian people here don't get involved in fornication and he goes on to say in verse 14, "And God hath raised up the Lord, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power." If you got a you got your Bible and you're looking at that verse and you got a pen underlining "and will also raise up us by his own power." Remember this, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is committed to raise you and I from the dead. If you walk with God and you serve the Lord and you keep your life holy, and this is the subject of the holiness that we're talking about here this morning, walk with God, be faithful to the Lord, folks. Praise the Lord. And if we we do not, if the Lord does not come in our lifetime, amen, and we have to taste death, let me just say this, that God will raise up the dead by the same power that he raised up Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. That's why everything hinges on the resurrection. Aren't you glad for what Jesus did for all of us? Died on the cross, praise the Lord for our sins, but he also rose again that we may have the same hope as he has. I'm going to move on here because I want to get into a little further into it. Look at verse 15. Now, you know that our bodies are for the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body, he's condemning condemning this action now that uh, people go out and just get a harlot and, you know, and have have the affair with them, and they think that, oh, well, I guess that's okay, and so forth. So he condemns all that. And uh, he says, know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of the harlot, God forbid. 16. What? Know ye not that that which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the, body, unto the Lord is one spirit. Now look at verse 15. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. you got to pen underline that. Amen. Flee fornication, I had preached a message one time and and, uh, eventually sort of made it into a Bible study, but uh, I call it fleas in your Bible, (laughs) and everybody thought F-L-E-A, you know, F-L-E-A, fleas, little biting insects, and everybody said, fleas, and I'm going to speak on fleas in your Bible, and of course, I was referring to F-L-E-E, where where the Lord said, flee this, flee that, flee that, flee that, and one of the things was flea fornication, I used the scripture. But the point is here that the Lord is telling us that we should flee fornication. So, going back to this uh, ninth uh, verse here in this uh, sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornications, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. So, uh, just want to let you know here that God condemns all of these kind of things. Now, I want to move into the next part of that verse, and it's going to get very heavy here. So not you bear with me. Uh, none of us, I said, should say none of us, but many of us have family members that are involved in what I'm going to talk to you about. And I'm going to talk to you from my heart here today, and I'm going to show you the Word of God. But there's a spirit that's growing in the America today toward condemning this in the Bible and allowing it to be an acceptable thing. Let me read it to you. I'm going to get right into it in the Word of God. And it says here in the ninth verse, it says, fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor effeminate. That's guys acting like girls. Guys acting like girls, nor effeminate. And then it says in the next one, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's homosexuality. I'm going to give you a lot of verses here in a few moments. But let me just use this word of, first of all, effeminate. Uh, the Bible says here that we are to flee or should not be involved. Just like fornicators, adulterers, neither should we be effeminate. Men should be effeminate. Uh, let me let me show you a verse of Scripture. I'm going to uh, look over here for a moment in the book of, uh, I think it's, uh, look over in Deuteronomy 22.5 Deuteronomy 22.5 let me show you something in the word of God here I remember when I was a boy uh, we'd have Halloween and uh, we would go out and, and uh, you know trick or treat and so forth there were some guys I don't know why but they liked to dress up like girls and he said oh, that's okay no, no problem with that And there were some girls that like to dress up like guys. They put on a fake mustache and put on some old pants and an old shirt, you know, and an old hat and sort of look like a guy, you know, and they go trick or treat and so forth. But as I grew older in life, I realized that there can be a danger in guys trying to look like girls and girls trying to look like guys, even on Halloween. Because Halloween was like an excuse to sort of break out. Of yourself and be something else, you know? And I thought, maybe that's not what children should think about. I want to stay with things that are just regular Halloween, but not into that. Because, here's what the Bible says. I'm going to read this verse of Scripture 22:5, "The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man." This is why that we in this church here condemn women wearing pants and slacks. It's a man's apparel he said, say, well, if they're slacks and pants made for women, they're women's apparel. But originally they were women's apparel. I mean, it was a a man's apparel, and they modified it for for women. And it goes on, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Women never can wear just slacks. They got to wear tight slacks, and it gets worse. You know what I mean. I'm just pointing out to you folks that the church must maintain a a holiness. And if we got Scripture in the Bible— Help us, God, to stay with the Scriptures. You won't go wrong with doing that. And it says here that a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garments. It doesn't say, oh, it's okay at Halloween. I mean, I'm talking to adults here. I know this is for children. Halloween's for children. I understand that. But I'm just saying there's no exception here for anything, you know. This Halloween thing came from the old Saint's Day, I don't know if you know that or not, from the old Greek Saint's Day when they used to have what they call Saint's Day. And people, and they started masquerading and wearing all kinds of funny clothes, and that's where all that really originally came from. And people who know the history of that, they know that and it's no big deal. It's no big big secret. But anyhow, it goes on to say here uh, that a woman is not to wear a man's apparel, neither shall a man put on a woman's garments. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord our God. And this is what effeminate is right here. It's where it begins. Trying to be like something of the opposite sex. The Lord made male and he made female. Jesus said that in the beginning, God created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. He created Adam and gave him Eve. Not Steve, Eve. Everybody get that? In other words that and that and there 's a distinction between man and woman. It always has been, always will be until the end of time. Man can try to blur the scenes, blur you know i see I see young people sometimes walking i don 't know if they're a girl or a boy. sometimes guys have long hair and and that 's another factor you know that long hair bit. The Bible teaches us that uh, this is this is a little bit further over in uh, in the book of This is the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I I won't get heavy into it, but the Bible talks about, this is 11, uh, 14, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? And it says it right here in the Word. It's not Bishop Meyer saying it, it's the Word saying it. And it says here, but if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. This is the 15th verse. And so the 14th verse says, "'Does not even nature itself teach you "'that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him.'" You say, well, Samson had long hair, it was never cut, and he bore that shame that he might be a Nazarite who had unusual strength. God made him or had him and required it of him to bear the shame of looking like a woman with long hair. He had to bear that shame because that was a shame for him to have the long hair. But in bearing the shame, he had unusual strong strength. That was the, that was the Nazarite vow that he had, that was upon him, and God put that on him before he was ever born, talked to his parents about it, and so forth. I won't go any further into it, only to say that a man having long hair is a shame unto him. And you have these guys having these long hair and everything, so forth. Uh, Then, of course, they have whiskers to show that they're a man, and, and so forth. Verse 15, but if the woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. Well, women are shaving their head, and they cut their hair off, and they, you know, and I know there are sicknesses, and there are afflictions, and people take therapies. I mean, they take, you know, uh, some people have cancer they're dealing with, and I know where they lose their hair, and I understand all of that, and God has got his hand on that, and uh, I understand that perfectly. But I'm talking about people who do it deliberately and maliciously and on purpose. Uh, when I was in, uh, in Africa, I've been in Africa, I think, f- three times on three different trips and ministered over there to the people. Like, you learned a lot of things. And uh, I used to see these girls going to school, and they had their, head, they had their heads shaven. And uh, so I said, why do the girls have their heads shaven? And uh, the missionary explained it to me, he said, that girls were denied education, but the boys could get education. And so whenever they began to open it up for girls to go to school and get an education, it was, it was, they were so happy about it. And they were so proud of being, having the opportunity to get education that then they started going to school, but then they found lice in their hair. And so in order not to have the lice brought into the school, they would shave their hair, their heads. They shaved all the boys' heads, fine. They shaved all the girls' heads, And then the hair would grow back and so forth, but they kept it. But the girls who wanted that education, they liked being bald-headed because it showed the public, I'm now going to school. So they kept on shaving their head. A lot of them, even when they grew up, they shaved their head. Some of them have come to America. This is really the way it all started. So it became a popular thing for women, especially in certain parts of Africa when they shaved shave their head. But it all started with the fact that it was an educational privilege over there, so forth. But in the Bible, the Bible teaches, let a woman's hair grow long. So can I just say this, ladies, let your hair grow. Your hair is your glory. Your hair is your covering. That means the covering means you have a right, praise the Lord, to have your hair covered so you can pray and worship God and glorify the Lord and whatever you can do, and the Bible teaches. Some, some people, in some, like in Jamaica, our Jamaican churches, uh, they require the women to all wear hats because they say the Bible teaches a woman should have her head covered. But Paul went on to say, but her hair is her covering, so if you've got long hair, you don't need to have a hat, and that's why we don't require it here in, in America. But I'm just pointing it, this is Bible, this is Scripture, but it all goes back to the fact that women are to look like women and men are to look like men because God wants a distinction between the sexes. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to go a little further on this because uh, this thing about, uh, let me get back here to the Scripture that we were looking at here. It says here, I'm looking at verse 9, fornication or adulterers are effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. This is homosexuality, abusers of themselves with mankind. Uh, I'm going to have you look at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Look over to Romans 1, and then look at verse 24. This is what the Word of God says about homosexuality. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Look at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. In other words, women with women. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. Verse 28 and even as they did not like to retain god in their knowledge god gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient and down in verse 31 without understanding covenant breakers without natural affection he names it again implacably merciful so forth so i'm just pointing out to you here that the bible speaks about it in the epistles He speaks about it in the the book of Galatians, speaks about it in the book of Ephesians. His name there is spoken of. Sometimes it's referred to simply as uh, sitting with mankind, the phrase of that nature. But let me show you in the Old Testament. I want you to look with me, if you would, in Leviticus. And uh, I'm speaking on this this morning. There may come a day when it'll be very dangerous to even talk about it like I'm doing right now be a condemnation against it it'll be even threats because I know that we've had some of those situations even in America and also in Canada in Canada where they've had ministers who have been threatened if they speak against homosexuality so I'm taking my liberty here because I'm getting a good old USA right now everybody say praise the Lord but I want you as a congregation who loves God and you believe the Bible to give me the liberty to say these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Here's what it says here in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Verse 24, defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you and the land is defiled. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. This is why as the world gets more wicked and this sin becomes more prevalent in a nation, in the world, when you get into the tribulation period and all of the convulsions that this earth begins to have against, uh, against humanity, And uh, I guess I'm thinking about it because I'm teaching on the book of Revelation uh, down in Sebastian on every Thursday night now. But I'm just trying to tell you here that these things are coming to pass and will come to pass on the face of the earth. So you and I must understand here we've got to uphold the, the mercies of God and the goodness of God and the kindness of the Lord. Amen. Also, the kindness of the Lord that he has for all people, but he wants us to be a holy people, that we might lead people out of sin into holiness. Now, I'm looking here at verse 27. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also when you defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before you. And then he goes in verse 29, for for whosoever shall come... commit any of these abominations, and he calls them abominations, but on down in verse 30. Now, one other verse of Scripture here, this is right here in Leviticus, and I'm in Leviticus 18, this is Leviticus 20, and verse 13, if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, they shall surely be put to death. Now, that's under the law, that's not under grace, we're under grace. They shall surely be put in their, their blood shall be upon them, and so forth. So I'm just pointing out to you here that these things were an abomination in the Old Testament, and God condemned it. Uh, go to the book of Genesis for a moment. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to take a little time with this, because this is something that people don't understand that the Bible condemns homosexuality. It does. And I say here again, you can have—maybe you've got a loved one. Uh, you know you somebody or you've had a loved one or something uh, that some people have passed away and so forth Uh, look at Genesis chapter uh, 19 and verse 4 this is those two angels that was with God that spoke to Abraham in the 18th chapter of Genesis and they went to Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah because God was going to destroy the five cities of the plains. He wound up only destroying four of them because they begged off not to destroy Zora, the smallest of the five cities. And, uh, but, so, but he was in uh, Sodom. Look at verse—and so what happened was that whenever Lot sat in the gate of the city— and these two angels came in they looked like this young man walking in the city and he says uh, look go home with me and spend the night with me they said no no we'll stay out here in the street they were angels they knew what they were saying and they knew what was they knew what it was all about but they didn't they didn't say who they were to start with and uh, they said uh, no we'll stay out here in the street he said, no 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 he said you can't do that no you go home with me i'll take care of you and i'll be good to you i'll give you some food blah 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 so they went home with with him. And while they were in his house, the pe- men of the city came to Lot's house, knocked on the door, and said, We want those two young men that's in your house. We saw them come in to the city, we want them. Now here's verse 4 and 19. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the house around uh, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. That's from the city of Sodom. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And that phrase, know them, means sexually, that we may know them and everything. And so what finally happened was that Lot tried to, reason with them, and they wouldn't take any reason. Finally, the two angels pulled Lot back in the house, closed the door— And they did like that, and the men became blind on the other side of the door. They just became blind, and they began to move around, stagger around. They didn't know who they were, where they were going. They couldn't see nothing. And then the two angels said to Lot—and remember, they just looked like men. They didn't have wings, nothing like that. Uh, They said to Lot, tomorrow morning God's going to destroy this city, so be ready to go. When morning came, when morning came, he got them up. Verse 15, When the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, Lot was just dragging his feet about it, while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of the two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought them forth and set them without the city, outside the city. Now, verse 24, and the Lord rained, then the Lord rained down upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of that cities, of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. And uh, so I'm just pointing out to you here how that the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because it was a homosexual so God does deal with that; He deals with it. Uh, the city of Pompeii, Italy, uh, in 79 A.D., the Lord destroyed that city, uh, and uh, by Mount Vesuvius uh, blew its top. It was only right next to it. it. This is in Italy, near, near, just south of Naples, Italy, and uh, it was, this was a major city, uh, and uh, Pompeii was. And uh, Mount Vesuvius blew its top, the volcano, and the ashes came down, and it hit that city, and it destroyed and killed everybody in the city immediately. That city lay in ruins for probably 1900 years. And in the 1800s, they began to evacuate the city—I mean to—not evacuate, but to excavate the city and dig it up, and they found—and they found people frozen in positions. And in their lifestyle, they may have been eating at a table, they may have been running down the street, they might have been sleeping in bed, whatever it was, they they caught them like that, and it froze them like that. And so they still have this available, that you can see this. I've been in Pompeii, the ruins of it, walked through it, and our guide, who was a woman, a guide that was talking to our group, and she—and we stopped in the middle of a street and she was pointing out something and she said, This city was wholly given over to homosexuality. If you look down at our feet, you will see a symbol that pointed to where they could go for sexual gratification, whatever word she used. And everything. And I looked down and oh my God, there's a you know, there's a, a thing and, and it's been there for nineteen hundred years, I mean nearly two thousand years. That thing is—it is carved in that brick, is a sort of brick stone, carved in a brick in the city. They also know—listen to this now—they also know that there was an apostolic Jesus-name Holy Ghost-filled church in that city of Pompeii before the— and they say that these people left before the volcano erupted, and they don't know why. And I can tell you why. (laughs) God gave them the word. God gave them the word because God does those things. Praise the Lord. God looks after his own people. But I'm sure that they were trying to get many of these people saved. But Sodom, Gomorrah, and Pompeii and other cities, they've been given over to this kind of a sin. And whenever it is, sometimes God just doesn't wait till Judgment Day. He just goes ahead and he deals with it. Amen. So I'm just trying to tell you here that God does deal with this sin, and uh, it is something the Bible speaks uh, of and so forth. I won't go into other scriptures. There's other Bible scriptures that talk about this sin. But I just want you to know here that to, uh, to, to stand there and see that in Pompeii was quite an experience and said, oh, my, this is an amazing thing to see and to know and understand. God does, let me say one, God does protect his people. He does protect his people. Praise the Lord. That was a church down in South America and Columbia, a little country church, apostolic Jesus named Holy Ghost filled people that was having church one night and they was praising and worshiping God and glorifying God. And some bandits came up on the outside and, uh, and they were, they looked it over and they left. And, uh, and so the people didn't know that they were worshiping, worshiping God, and glorifying God and a message in tongues and interpretation came forth and, uh, this happens sometimes in our Pentecostal church service. And it says, Leave this place and flee to the mountains. Flee to the hills. It said, Flee to the hills. Leave this place. And it said, Leave this place. And everybody sort of looked around at each other and they didn't know what it all meant. And they said, Well, they went on worshiping, praising the Lord and glorifying God. And the message came forth again, this time by a different messenger and a different interpretator. And it says, Leave this place and go into the hills. Do it immediately. Do it now. It was a very urgent thing so the pastor said everybody follow me and they all went out and they went up on the hill across the road up into the hills and they stayed up there and some about five or ten minutes later they saw these band of bandits come back to this and surround the church with machine guns tommy guns machine guns and they literally shot the church up. They shot the windows out. They kicked the door open and went inside. They began to curse and swear because they said the people are gone. Where are the people? They're gone. And they just shot up the place and left. The people never went back to that church, of course. It all shot to pieces and everything. But God saved the church. He saved the people. You understand what I'm saying? God will keep his hand on his people. Everybody say praise the Lord. Lord. Let me move on here. Amen. I'm going to leave this subject of here, homosexuality. And much more can be said about it and so forth, but uh, God anyhow has given us instructions that we should not follow this sin, and this world is getting more and more in this direction. Now, let me have you look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. I'm dropping down to verse 11. Let me get back to the right verse. And such were some of you. Everybody with me? And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord. Such were some of you. So, what Paul is trying to say here, he condemns these sins. But then he said, some of you were in some of that stuff out there, but God saved you. Now, I'm going to turn this coin over. God condemns the sins and he will judge the sin. And if a person is persistent to stay in their sins, God will judge them in that. But if they want to be saved, they can be saved. And I want to say this, I don't care what sin it is, God can save you out of it. If you want to be saved, he can bring you out. His power is great. You don't have to stay, you don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be a drug addict. There's people in this church that's been saved out of alcohol. They were alcoholics. God saved them, and they're marvelously saved to this day. There's people that were drug addicts. I'm talking about needle stuff, you know. This in this church, they've been saved for 20 30 years. I'm telling you, it works. God is able to save people out of all walks of sin. Praise God. And and the power of God is able to do all things. And the ones I'm talking to you are some of the finest saints in this church. Good people. Praise the Lord. I was thinking about Brother Leroy Burroughs the other day. You you know, he passed away, He he was our maintenance guy in this church for years. I love Leroy. That guy was a hard-working guy and everything, but I used to have long conversations with him. Nobody knows us, but before Leroy, Leroy got saved, he was mean. I mean, he was, he was a little guy, and he was strong, and he was a fighter. He, he loved to fight. He, he didn't take on anybody, fight anybody on anything. I mean, and when it, before he got saved, he just fought, he'd get thrown in jail for that stuff, you know, and everything. While he was in jail, he'd wash up the chief police's cars, he just had to stay busy wash up the fire trucks you know all that stuff they do all that stuff they were impressed with it and everything he'd get out and everything and then he'd get in another brawl another fight and be thrown in jail again you know and everything and it's just that way and they just loved him to death and, and finally one of them said leroy he said i want you to be a fireman so the, the fire department hired him to be a fireman. he became a lieutenant in the fire department But Leroy got saved. And when he got saved, he became a child of God, a man of God, walked with the Lord, loved God, raised his family in the church. And I'm just trying to say there's a lot of people like that in this church. Praise the Lord. You've come from all walks of life. And I'm just telling you, the Bible here says, such were some of you, such were some of you. And, uh, I want you to know that we've come from everything in the world, but God is able to save out of everything. There's nothing that God cannot save out of. God is able to bring us forth, praise the Lord, and he's able to do marvelous works for the children of God and the people of God. And I want to read a verse of scripture to you here. This is Acts 18. This is concerning the Corinthian church. Now listen to me closely on this. This is that Corinthian church. And, uh... The eighteenth chapter here of the book of Acts uh, is all about the Corinthian church. It says in that first verse, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And then in Corinth, he began to witness and testify in the in the synagogues, and finally they got tired of hearing the message about Jesus Christ being the Messiah, and they they sort of run him out and threw him out. and, And one of the men who was the head of the synagogue, he got saved. He believed. And that eighth eighth verse declares that. Finally, in verse 9, here's what the Lord said to Paul concerning the city of Corinth that had all kinds of stuff in this city because it was one of the major cities and crossroads in the then known world, the Roman Empire. Here's what the Lord said to Paul. Verse 9, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. These were not saved people he's talking about. These were people that God knew their hearts. And I'm going to tell you here today, there are people in this city that's still in sin who look themselves in the mirror on a Sunday morning and said, I got to make a change. I can't go on the way I'm going on like this. I can't continue to live like this. I got to do something about it. There's other people that look at themselves and say, I wonder if my only way out is to commit suicide, take my life. You say, Brother Byrd, people don't think, yes, they do, yes, they do. And you and I have what they need and you and I have what they want. They don't know what it is. They hear many voices come in saying this, you know, somebody says, you know, you need to be a Buddhist. Somebody else says, you know, you need to join this religion. You need to, uh, you need to, you know, go do yoga, you know, some whatever. Everybody's got an answer. But this is what God wants everybody to have. And he told Paul, I've got people in this city, I know their hearts, I know their minds, I know their spirit, I know that down inside they want truth, they want reality, they want to find me, praise the Lord. And folks, I'm telling you, in Palm Bay, yet now, you know, and I know we, this is a strong church, but there's other people that's yet to be saved. In Melbourne, in this whole area, there are people that want to find God, and they're hungry for God, and they're looking for God, and you and I have to reach out to them, praise God. We have to reach them. We had a a young man, I've told this story before, we had a young man here, came here, I don't know, it's been 25 years ago. He came here to this church. He was just a young guy. He must have been, I don't know, 18, 15, not 15, he's probably about 17, 18 years old he came to the church just walked in off the street in the doors everything came in the church got saved and then he confessed to me he said i got a trial coming out because i was with three other guys two other guys and we we uh we bombed a jewish couple's home he said this group that they were in was sort of a a, the nazi what they call a nazi group and so they had this thing so they they put you know bottles of alcohol with, uh, with uh, gas in it and you know wick I don't know how they do that stuff but then you know, they light it and they throw it anyhow three of them did it and uh, he said actually brother Byers I just got in a group because I just wanted to belong to something he was a Puerto Rican kid and, and he said actually I threw mine in the woods but he said still I was with the group the other two have been sent to us off and my sentence is coming up soon you know we began to pray for him he received the Holy Ghost got saved And when he went to trial and we were all there and the judge was sitting there, Uh, we went to trial and that he got, they asked the judge, said, anything you want to say? And he says, yes, judge. And he started crying and he said, I, and he said to those Jewish people, please forgive me. He said, I was with that group. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was a tag along and I actually threw mine into the woods and so forth. I didn't throw it at your house. So I didn't bomb your house. And their house caught fire and burned down, and they had to, had, had to redo it and everything like that. And that he just cried and boo-hooed on that witness stand, Church, the, the, the court was full of, God, of saints of God who had gone there to support him and everything. And when he got through talking, those Jewish people stood up and said, Your Honor, we're going to request that you let this young man go free. We're not holding nothing against him. We can see the sincerity of his heart. That's what they said. And the judge says, we're going to take a recess about five minutes. <laughs> so he went behind the scenes by himself. And when he came out, he said, I'm going to do something I've never done before. He said, I'm just going to put you on probation for so, so long, 18 months or something like that. And he said, but I'm not going to send you off to prison. I think you've got your life turned around and going the right track. Don't get in trouble anymore, and you'll be okay. That young man called me. He got married, incidentally, moved down to South Florida. He called me here about a year, year and a half ago. He said, Brother Myers, this is so-and-so. I said, oh, man, I haven't seen you for years. He said, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you in the church. You saved my life. He said, you don't know it. I never told anyone, but I was going to commit suicide. When I walked in the church door, I said, this is my last hope if I can't find God, if God's not real, I'm just gonna take my life. But he walked in this church and he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost and he went on living for God. He said, today, I work for the government. He said, I'm an independent contractor. He said, I do diving. He goes in these diving things. He works for the US Navy. I've been working for them for 20 years. He said, I have a very good job, a very good business. It pays very well. I work all over the world. I am I'm in, I'm in top security. In other words, he has to use his fingerprints to get through certain doors and everything else. And all of that, nothing's against him. But he said, I just had to call you and tell you I'm still living for God. I'm still serving the Lord. My children are grown. i got grown children now. And I'm just trying to say, folks, there's an unborn church out there yet. Praise the Lord. And let's reach them. Can we do that? Can we reach them? Let's talk to people. You don't know if you just meet somebody. You don't know if they're going to be somebody that's hungry for God. They're trying to find an answer. They said, I got to make a change. I got to find truth. Or there may be somebody that says, if I don't find truth, then I'm going to end it all. And ask, let's ask God to God help us to know who we need to talk to. God can lay it on your heart. Go talk to that person. Go witness to that individual. Go talk to that man or that woman. And God is able to do it. But there's an unborn church out there, just like it was with Paul there in Corinth. And Paul went forth, and he did it, and a great church was built in Corinth. Let's all stand and worship God.